Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, The Need for Endurance. All right, well, around AD 95, seven churches in Asia Minor received seven special letters. And the reason they were special is because they were from Jesus Christ himself. I mean, can you imagine receiving a personal letter from the Lord? Can you imagine going tomorrow to your mailbox, opening it up, grabbing a letter, and seeing to your name in the upper left-hand corner from Jesus Christ? I mean, how would that make you feel? From the Lord, not generally speaking like the Word of God, generally speaking uh, is a love letter from heaven to all of us, I'm talking about a personal letter from the Lord to you. What kind of emotions would you experience? Well, first of all, you'd probably, probably be in shock, right? Because, man, it's the Lord. It's the, the Son of God who's writing to you personally. And then, no doubt, you would be filled with anticipation. You can't wait to open it up. What's it going to say, right? But then some, at some point while you're opening it up, all of us would feel hesitation, because you're not sure if it's all going to be positive. You know, what's the Lord going to say? And so that's how these people in these seven churches felt when one Sunday morning, just like we're gathered together on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, um, to celebrate the resurrection. By the way, that's why we, we meet on Sunday, um, because Jesus rose on Sunday. They've been doing it since Acts 20, and so if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. And so, hey, just like we're here today on a Sunday, 2,000 years ago, these seven congregations got together in these seven different cities. And the pastors walked up to these congregations, and the, the pastor uh, said something like this. Hey, congregation, a special treat for today. The Apostle John, who we all know and love, our bishop who oversees our seven churches. Well, as some of you know, he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos. For being a follower of Jesus, the Romans locked him up and gave him hard labor on that island. And while he was there, the glorified Christ revealed himself in a vision to John. And he told John to take out a pen and start writing. And Jesus dictated personally seven letters to seven churches. Guess what, church family? We're one of the churches that he picked. And so I hold in my hand, this pastor would say, a letter from Christ to our church. And no doubt he unrolled the scroll and began to read. How did they feel? The same way you would feel if you went to your mailbox tomorrow and got a letter from Christ. Shocked, filled with anticipation, but also they were hesitant, right? Because we're not really sure if everything's gonna be positive, what the Lord has to say to us today. And so, so far we have read what Jesus said to three churches, the church in Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, and the church in Pergamum. And so today, uh, we got a new church, but first let me review the last three churches, okay? The church of Ephesus, they left their first love. And so they needed passion. And then the second church, the church of Smyrna, they were under intense persecution from the Roman government. And so they needed hope. The third church was the church of Pergamum. 
We saw that that church, sad to say, had embraced some um, theological error, and therefore they were living in an immoral way, and so they needed purity in that church. Today we get to the fourth letter, the fourth church, the church of Thyatira. And we're going to see that in that church there was a contingency of faithful people that were so burdened, so weighed down by the, the things that were going on in their local church that the Lord's going to tell them, if you're taking notes, man, you need endurance. The faithful people in the church of Thyatira needed to keep on keeping on. And so Thyatira was the smallest of the seven cities that Jesus wrote to, but it had a thriving economy. Its primary industry was the clothing industry, and Thyatira was well known for its dyed linen. In fact, how many of you guys ever heard of Lydia in Acts chapter 16? You ever heard of Lydia before? Okay, so who was Lydia? Lydia was a vendor from Thyatira. What did she sell? She sold purple clothing. And so here you have Lydia, and by the way, she gets saved because the Lord opens her heart and Paul preaches the gospel and she gets saved, so she becomes an early leader. But nonetheless, her day job was, she was a vendor from Thyatira. She sold purple clothing. And so if you wanted some cool clothes in the first century, you had to find a vendor like Lydia to get those clothes. So Thyatira was the smallest of the seven cities, but it had a thriving economy. It was also smallest of the seven cities, but it received the longest letter. So of all seven letters that we're studying in our series here in Revelation 2 and 3, this is the longest of all the letters. And like I said in my opening remarks, it's a stern letter. And so please put your seatbelts on today. Verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the what does he call himself? Okay, see that? This is the only place in Revelation where Jesus is given that title. The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Jesus introduced himself to this church as the Son of God who has flaming eyes. So if you're taking notes, here's your next point. The Son of God's flaming eyes reveal his ability to see everything within our hearts. The Lord sees it all. The Lord is like Superman. He's got x-ray vision, and he can see deep down into our souls. He knows who the real, he knows who we are in reality because he sees our hearts. Later on in this same letter, he's going to say down around verse 23 that he is the one who searches the minds and the hearts. Hebrews 4.13 says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so one day, all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If you know the Lord, if you receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord and turn from your sins, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and you must give an account. I must give an account. And we're not going to just give an account of what we did outwardly. We're going to give an account of who we were inwardly. And so if you're here today, just know the Son of God has eyes like a flame of fire, and he sees right into our hearts. And so if you're here today, and man, you're trying to cover something up, 
if you're trying to cover up some sin, and how many of you guys know that Christians are capable of doing anything that a non-Christian's capable of doing? Okay? And so if you're trying to cover something up, maybe you've been stealing money from work. Boss doesn't know. Nobody knows. But you're, you've been dipping in somehow, some way. Maybe you've been looking at pornography after your wife goes to bed. Nobody knows. Maybe you're having an affair. Maybe you're having an emotional affair. Maybe it hasn't become physical yet, but you're flirting on social media. You're deleting your text. You're deleting your phone calls because you don't want your spouse to see it. You're trying to cover it up. Maybe you're getting ready. You know, April 15th is coming. Maybe you're getting ready to fill out your tax form. You, you, you're you're going to cheat on your taxes. I can go on and on and on, right? But God hasn't called me to be the Holy Spirit. And so whatever sin you're covering up, the Lord, listen, you may fool people, but you can't fool the Lord. He's the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. He sees in your heart. He sees right down into my heart as well. He knows right now if I'm standing up here being a hypocrite or if I'm being a true, true man of God. He knows. And so he knows us through and through. And so here's my encouragement. Because he can see everything, why don't we do this? Why don't we just go to the Lord and make it right? Why? Because the kindness of God should lead us to repentance. Why? Because God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Why? Because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, the thing is, is that you lack peace. The thing is, right now you're under some kind of discouragement, depression, because you're hiding your sin. You think what the world has to offer you will satisfy you, but it's just the opposite. You've never been so depressed in your life. Listen, the Lord, as Aaron said a little while ago, says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll, I'll give you rest. I'll forgive your sin. I'll wash it clean with my blood. I'll forgive and I'll forget. But you got to stop trying to cover this stuff up, the Lord would say, from me. And so his eyes are like flaming fire. And it says in verse 18 that his feet are like burnished bronze. We found out in chapter one that that simply alludes to the fact that he, as the son of God, has the right to judge. And so I want you to picture this in your mind, AD 95, and there's the, the son of God. You can't see him, because sometimes in his resurrected body you can see him, sometimes you can't see him. And so there he is, and he's walking up and down the aisles of the church of Thyatira. And he's got eyes like fire, and he's looking right into everybody's heart, including the pastor's heart, and he's seeing what is really, really there. And he's got feet like burnished bronze. And so as the son of God, he's ready to make a judgment. In our culture today, what's one of the phrases that we hear all the time? Don't judge me, right? As if that's the worst sin in the world you could ever commit. Well, guess what? The one who knit you together in your mother's womb, he's gonna judge you and he's gonna judge me. God is not the one on trial. You're on trial. You're not the one to question God. God's gonna question you. And the thing is, is that you and I have got to be true people of God from the inside out and stop with the outward sham as if everything is okay when we're absolutely a mess inside. Jesus is the only one. You can go through 50 years of psychotherapy and it won't even make a dent of what Jesus can do in one second if you'll just come to him and allow his blood to cleanse you of all your sins. Go to him. He's alive, and he has the answer. And so, 
as he looked into the hearts of these people, he saw some things he liked and he saw some things that he did not like. And in classic Jesus fashion, he always starts with what he likes. So that's verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 18. And so to the angel, remember that means messenger, or the pastor, we believe. To the messenger of the church in Thyatira, right. The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze, and now we get to the good stuff. I know your works. Everybody say works, please. And your love. Please say love. Your faith. Go ahead. And service. Go ahead. And patient endurance. And that your later works exceed the first. The reason I had you say all those words out loud is because that's about the only good thing the Lord had to say for these, to these people. So I wanted to emphasize it really big up front here. And so as the Lord walked around with his flaming eyes, he saw a contingency of faithful people in the church, and man, he, he applauds them. He says, good job. I see your good works. I see your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, and I see that your current works are even better than your former works. Good job, the Lord would say to these people. Not a majority in this church, just a minority. But good job, nonetheless. You're doing an awesome job, he would say, but there's something I have against you. There's something that's not so awesome in the church. So what was it in Thyatira? Well, the biggest thing, the biggest beef Jesus had against this church, they were listening to a woman preacher. And she called herself a prophetess, and she was giving some real bad advice to these people. Now, just so you know, that there were women in the New Testament who had the legitimate gift of prophecy. Like, remember Philip's four daughters in Acts 21.9? So Philip had four daughters. They all had the gift of prophecy, and they used that gift, uh, mostly foretelling, some foretelling. The gift of prophecy has both. But Philip's four daughters used that gift to build up the body of Christ. This lady in Thyatira, she wasn't building up the body of Christ. She was tearing it down. She was self-appointed. She wasn't called by God. And she was doing a lot of damage uh, to the church, as we're gonna see here. And so look at what Jesus has to say about this woman who had influence in the church of Thyatira. He says in verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, what's the word? Jezebel, I mean, like, man, for all the names for the Lord to pick. Woo, that's like, ouch. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself. Do you see how she's self-appointed? She's not called by God. Just know not everybody who's in ministry is called into ministry. Who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. He calls her out. He says, Jezebel. Now, here's what I know. Lots of Christian parents love to name their kids with biblical names, right? So if you're a son, you know, you know if you're a dad or, or mom, you name your kid, if, you, if he's a son, you know, David or John or Paul, right? Nehemiah, whatever, 
And then if you have a daughter, it's Mary or Elizabeth or Lydia or Rachel. But here's what I know, moms and dads. No one names their baby Jezebel. Right now, over in the Shine Children's Ministry, there's no little girls running around named Jezebel right now. Why? Because whether you know the Bible or not, you know that's not a name I'm going to give my kid. Because Jezebel, who lived way back around 900 B.C., her reputation precedes her. And so this lady's name was not Jezebel. That was her nickname. This is the name um, that Jesus calls her. And the reason he called her this name is because of how she was acting. She was acting like Jezebel in the Old Testament. The queen of Israel who led God's people into, listen to this, spiritual immorality. Okay, so you can read all about Jezebel's ruthless reign in 1 Kings 18 through 21. Uh, But what you need to know is that she was absolutely the most wicked woman in the entire Bible. She was married to the apostate king, King Ahab, um, who, by the way, the Bible says that King Ahab did more to provoke the Lord to anger than any other of the kings of Israel before him. And in their marriage between Ahab and Jezebel, Jezebel wore the pants. Whatever she said, Ahab's like, yes, dear. And so one day she says, Ahab, I want to kill all the prophets of the Lord. Yes, dear. I want to kill Elijah the prophet. Yes, dear. Um, Honey, I just murdered our neighbor, Naboth, because I heard you want his vineyard, and he wouldn't give it to you, so I took the guy out, and now here you go, honey. You can have this beautiful vineyard. Thank you, dear. Right? The worst thing that Jezebel ever did was that she said this to Ahab. Ahab, I want to spread the worship of Baal all over Israel. I want to build temples to Baal, and I want to lead God's people uh, to worship this God. Some of you guys are thinking right now, because I know, um, isn't it Baal, Pastor Mike? Well, what you need to know is that I recently had a conversation with a Jewish guy who used to come to our church, and he said, man, I love your services, but every time you know, you're, you're preaching in the Old Testament, you butcher the Hebrew words. <laughs> and so what I do is I go now to Blue Letter Bible, and I click on um, 2 Kings, wherever the chapter is that has the name, B-A-A-L, and I listen to what it actually says, or how, how to pronounce it, and it's not Baal, it's Baal, okay? And so my wife hears it. She's in another room. I keep hitting it over and over. But none of you care about that. But anyway, so Baal worship. Now, what's interesting, because some of you guys don't know who this false deity was, he was the supreme deity of the Canaanites. The Canaanites, who were the people that got kicked out of the promised land when Joshua and the children of Israel came in. You remember Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho? You remember he took, by the way, that piece of real estate over there in Palestine called Israel belongs to the Jews. God gave it to them way back in the time of Joshua. And you say, you know, well, that's not right. God doesn't have, God shouldn't do that. God can do whatever he wants to do. And the Canaanites had 400 years, by the way, to repent of their wickedness. And they didn't repent, so God booted them out and gave the land to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You say, what were they doing? One of the sins they were doing is they were taking their babies and sacrificing their babies. They would heat up 
an image of a statue of a false god with outstretched arms, and they would take their baby and lay it and sacrifice their baby to their false gods. And so God said, out. And by the way, where are the Canaanites today? As Don Stewart said last week, where are the Jebusites? Where are the Amorites? Where are the Amalekites? They're gone. Where are the Israelites? They're still there. Have you noticed that, by the way? They're still there. And so Baal was the chief deity of the Canaanites, the Phoenicians. And part of worshiping Baal was when you go to his temple and you'd have sex with a temple prostitute. And so this is what Jezebel wanted to spread all around Israel. But how many of you know you reap what you sow? How many of you guys know that what comes around goes around? Right? And so guess what? Jezebel sowed wickedness and she reaped destruction. As you read 2 Kings chapter 9, later on, Ahab, he dies, and then some time goes on, and what do they do? They hunted Jezebel, and they found her in the top of this big tower, and they grabbed her, and they threw her out the window. Her body hit the pavement, and her blood splattered all over the wall. When they finally decided to bury her, they went out, but all they could find was her skull, the palms of her hands, and her feet, because the dogs in town ate her in a fulfillment of a prophecy by the one she tried to kill, Elijah. And so you reap what you sow. And by the way, the Bible is not boring. You ought to read it sometime. And so she got what was coming to her. She sowed the wind, she reaped the whirlwind. Now, this is how this all ties into the letter, so please listen to this. Just like Ahab allowed Jezebel to lead God's people into spiritual immorality, so the leaders in the church of Thyatira allowed the prophetess Jezebel to do the same thing. What did this lady in Revelation chapter two do that was so wrong? If you're taking notes, here's what she did. We'll put it on the screen. Jezebel encouraged believers to participate in feasts that were held to honor various, what kind of gods? Greek gods, that's the culture in AD 95. And therefore to commit what? Spiritual immorality. Fascinating, as I was digging deeper and I found out that, the, again, the worship of Baal included going to the temple and having sex with temple prostitutes, 900 or so BC, fast forward a thousand years to AD 95, now the culture's completely changed, it's not the Canaanites, it's not even the Assyrians or the Babylonians um, or the Medo-Persians, now it's the Greeks. Well, it's actually the Romans, but Greek culture still dominated the world in AD 95 and it's the pantheon of Greek gods and goddesses. And so just like in AD 900, um, uh, the apostate God's people were, were worshiping Baal and having sex with temple prostitutes. Baal, one of his names was the sun god. So now in AD 95, you get to Thyatira. The chief god of Thyatira was Apollo, the sun god. And part of the worship of these Greek gods and goddesses was to go down to the temple and have sex with temple prostitutes in their form of religion. Do you see what's happening? Do you see why Jesus is angry with this church because they're letting this woman have influence over God's people and bringing back an old heresy 
that was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. Now, let, let me share specifically how this impacted the church, the, the people in the church. As I said earlier, Thyatira was known as the smallest city of the seven, but it had a thriving economy, and it was famous for its guilds. A guild was an association of craftsmen and merchants who had considerable power. A guild uh, would be like a, a, a labor union, okay? And so um, these guilds, they had guilds for everything in Thyatira. Uh, for those who worked in the food industry, the linen industry, leather, pottery, bronze goods, the slave trade, whatever it might be. And so each guild had their own patron deity that they chose from the pantheon of Greek gods and goddesses, and what these people would do is they would pay tribute to their patron deity by holding feasts or parties to honor that patron deity. And so every so often, the guild would have a company party, and they would invite all the employees to come to the company party, and during the company party, they would honor their patron deity by asking that false god to bless their business, whether it was Zeus or Athena or Apollo or Artemis or whoever. The problem with Christians is that these parties were known for eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. They were pagan parties, and they were known for drunkenness and they were known for immorality. But if you wanted to keep your job, you had to join a guild, and you had to go to the company party, or you'd get fired. And so put yourself in the sandals of a first century Christian in the church of Thyatira. You love your job. Maybe you work down at the clothing factory. Maybe you know Lydia, right? And all of a sudden, they announce, the big boss announces, hey, we're gonna have our company party next Friday. And you know that those parties are known for eating meat, sacrifice to idols, and drunkenness, and immorality, and they can become really wild, and you begin to struggle. Okay, so what do you do as a Christian? Well, you go down to your church leadership. By the way, pray for your church leadership, because every time we give advice to people, whether from a platform or privately, we are held accountable uh, to the Lord. Please pray for us. And here you have a woman in 8095 who's in the church leadership. And they say something to her like this, um, prophetess, I work down at the clothing factory and they're gonna have the party, you know, the honor Apollo. And um, uh, you know how those parties can be. I really don't wanna go, but I may lose my job if I don't show up. And what was she saying to them? Go. God's a God of grace. Let your light shine. Be a witness. And guess what they did? They went. And they ate meat sacrificed to idols in the temple as part of the pagan practice. Different scenario than what Paul was talking about in Corinthians. They're eating meat as part of the pagan party to worship whatever false deity. And there's drunkenness and there's immorality going on. And in that way, verse 20, halfway down verse 20, please look at it. In that way, she was teaching and seducing my servants, Jesus said, to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. And so everybody who took 
her advice and went to the company party, committed spiritual immorality. Why? Because they were worshiping false gods there. And some of them who went to the party didn't just commit spiritual immorality, they committed sexual immorality. Why? Because they hooked up with somebody after the party. Or maybe they hooked up with a temple prostitute. And their excuse was, Jezebel gave us the thumbs up. She's a prophetess. She speaks for God, and so we went. And the Lord's not buying it. He's not happy as he walks down the aisles and looks with his flaming eyes into the hearts of these people. And so they attended wild parties in Thyatira. They went to places they had no business being. Now, what's the application? Here's one of the applications very, very clearly, right? There are certain places, ladies and gentlemen, in our culture that you and I, as blood-bought, born-again Christians, have no uh, reason to be there, ever. Let me give you an example. Nobody from Calvary PSL should ever be sitting down at a bar with a beer in your hand. And I'm not trying to control your life at all. What I'm saying is that, are you born again? <laughs> is the Spirit of God living inside of you? Well, that's your old life. That's your BC days. Why are you going back into that environment? No Christian should ever be at a club. No Christian should ever go to a wild party. Why? Because the Bible's very clear. As Christians, we're called to be separate from the world. Right? That's why. We're to be different. Yes, we can let our, light, let our light shine. Yes, Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. Yes, I know the emails I'm going to get this week. Okay, I understand that. But Jesus never went to a wild party. Jesus never went down to some pagan temple and took that, that uh, worshiped these false Greek gods and goddesses. He would never in a million years do that. Jesus today would never be caught dead at a bar or a club or some kind of wild party. Why? Because the Lord was distinct and holy and separate. Yes, he had friends who were um, lost people. We should all have friends who are lost people. Absolutely. But our best friends should not be lost people. We should be separate. You say, where are you getting all this? Listen, not man-made rules. I'm getting it from the word of God. Check out 1 Corinthians chapter six. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, Yahweh. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, here it is, go out from their midst and be, what's the word? How many of you guys believe that every word in the Bible is God's word? That's the word he uses. Be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you. Then I will be a father to you. Then I'll, you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so right now, if you're dating somebody who doesn't know the Lord, break it off quickly. 
before you fall in love with the guy or the girl. If you've accepted a ring from a lost person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, here's what you do, give the ring back. I'm trying to save you hundreds of hours of counseling in the future. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, don't raise your hand, but I know there's some people uh, who know exactly what I'm talking about because you've lived this. And so can you please encourage the younger generation um, to make sure that they date, get engaged, and marry a man or woman who's going in the same direction that you are and loves the Lord? Can those of you who've lived through this, can you just maybe say amen or something to let them know? It's true. It's true. I mean, I mean, good, good night. Um, one of the best things that ever happened to my wife and I, by the way, we, we love you guys, we love this church, we love what God's doing in this church, but this does not, anything that's happened in this church doesn't compare to the fact that God led three godly, born-again men to marry our three daughters, and now my wife and I are empty nesters, but we know our daughters are married to guys who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Whew, thank you, God. Oh, right? Thank you, God. Grace. And so, hey, it's true. Give the ring back. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't have best friends who are unbelievers. They're gonna, they're gonna bring you down. They're not gonna build you up. Have friends, let your light shine, but not best friends, certainly not spouses, and by the way, I could go on and on, but business deals. You know, you own a corporation. Uh, be careful who you're gonna join with. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. All right, look at verse 21. He says, I gave her time to repent. You see this? Isn't that amazing, the heart of the Lord? He could have wiped this lady out the first time she gave bad advice. But he said, I gave her time to repent. You know why God gives us time to repent? Because he's madly in love with us. Do you know why God gives us time to repent? Because he's not willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he's like, I, I gave you time, ma'am. He says, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. That means she's taking her own advice. She's down at the party too. Verse 22, behold, I will throw her into a, what's the next word? Sick bed. Now, um, the interpreters had a little liberty there uh, that was not in the original text. In the original text, it doesn't say sick bed, it just says bed. And so, the, what, and by the way, that's obviously pointing to some sort of judgment that the Lord's gonna bring on this lady for not repenting. And so it's as if the Lord is saying to this lady, all right, you want a bed, Jezebel? I'll put you in a bed. It's not gonna be a bed of pleasure. It's gonna be a bed of pain. And so some commentators believe that is the bed that she's been in now for 2,000 years in the depths of hell. She lay down in a place of pain because she didn't repent. How many of you guys know that repentance is part of the gospel? May we never, as a church family, remove repentance from the gospel. And so verse 22 now says this, behold, I will throw her into a bed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into, what kind of tribulation? 
great tribulation, I'll come back to that, unless, here it is again, they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. See what happens when you go verse by verse and you can't skip anything? Um, he says, I'm, Jesus, meek and mild, saying this right here. I will strike her children dead. In other words, those people who are listening to her advice, following her, they're gonna judge, be judged too. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your what? Your works. And so not only would the Lord judge Jezebel, he would also judge those who are following her advice by giving them or throwing them into great tribulation. All right, so some commentators believe that verse 22 um, was a picture of the last days. Okay, follow me here. And that in the last days, there's gonna be fake believers. I guess kind of like there's fake media. I don't know. But anyway, there's fake believers in the church. Because how, how many of you guys know that in the church, there's wheat? and there's tares in every church. There's true believers and there's fake believers. And some, sometimes the fake believers don't even know they're fake believers, but they've never been born again. And so in the last days, some commentators say there's gonna be fake believers, and because they never <laughs> repented, they're gonna miss the rapture, and they're gonna enter into the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel 70th week, which Jesus said the last three and a half years from the abomination of desolation to the second coming of Christ is called the great tribulation. And so because these fake believers never truly repented, they enter into the great tribulation and God's wrath is poured out upon the world. That's what some commentators say. Other commentators say that, no, no, this is an immediate judgment of the Lord to these unrepentant people in Thyatira in AD 95. And so because they followed Jezebel's advice, um, they're gonna go through great tribulation, not talking about the end times, it's just talking about um, a judgment from the Lord. Okay, so who's right? Um, both. We know from hermeneutics that there's one interpretation but many applications. So every verse has one interpretation. It's not like, how do you feel about it? How do I feel about it? How do you feel about it? There's one interpretation. It's not how we feel about it. It's what does the Lord say? And then how can we apply it to our lives? So the, I believe the one interpretation that makes the most sense is that this is an immediate judgment upon those people in Thyatira who are not repenting. But what's the application? Um, there's hundreds of applications, and one of them absolutely is for fake believers in the end times who never repent and who go into the great tribulation. Absolutely. And so not only is Jezebel judged, the false teacher in the church, but those who are taking her advice are also judged. And so the Lord now says to the faithful contingency in Thyatira, look at verse uh, 24 now. He says, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, probably a reference to the early seeds of Gnosticism, which I can talk about later. He says, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. And so follow along what the Lord is saying in this letter to this church. He's now addressing not the majority, but the minority of faithful people. And he's saying, hey, guys, I know you're not listening to her. 
Praise the Lord for that, right? I know you're staying separate from the world. Praise the Lord from that. Uh, but I know that your heart is breaking, you're burdened, you're weighed down because of what's going on um, inside of your church. And so I'm not gonna lay any other burden on you except for this, verse 25. He says, only hold fast. Everybody say hold fast. Hold fast. What you have until I come. Jesus wanted them to endure. And so what does it mean to endure? It's the ability to endure, not just the good days, ladies and gentlemen, but the unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. It's kind of like this, this small group of faithful people in the church of Thyatira are walking up this mountain and they've got these heavy backpacks and the backpacks are filled with the weight of the world. Maybe it's a physical infirmity. Uh, maybe it's a, a person who's given them grief in the church. Maybe, specifically, as they look around, they're seeing that they have friends who are being seduced by a false prophet or prophetess, and their hearts are breaking, whatever it might be, right? Um, they're, they're going up a mountain, the sweat's coming off their brow, and their, their thighs are burning, and they got a, a rock in their foot, and they're, they're so tempted to quit on the Lord. It's like, I'm done with church. I'm done with Jesus. This is just too hard. I can't take the spiritual warfare anymore. I'd rather go way back here on the supply lines than get beat up on the front lines. And so I'm done. And the Lord is saying to the faithful people in this church, don't you leave your post. Hold fast to what you have. What do they have? Verse 19, hold fast to your works. Hold fast to your love. Hold fast to your service. Hold fast to your patient endurance. Don't give up. Don't give in. I know it's unpleasant, I know it's difficult, I know you're weighed down, but if you just keep climbing that mountain, listen, when you get to the top, when you get to the summit, I've got some rewards for you that are gonna blow your mind. Listen to Romans 8.18. If you're with me, say amen here. For everybody who's having a hard time right now, which is probably 98% of you, listen to the God's word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. That's the hope that we hold on to. Now look at verse 26. He says, the one who conquers, right, that word is overcome. I'll come back to that. And who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He's quoting Psalm 2 here. As when the earthen pots are broken in pieces, even I myself have received authority from my Father. Verse 28, and I will give him, I love this, the morning star. What's that? It's who is that? That's Jesus. Revelation twenty two sixteen. he says, I am the bright and morning star. And so if you overcome, if you keep Christ's works until the end, you will be rewarded with eternal intimacy with Jesus Christ. That's the greatest reward of all. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so he says, who, 
He says, the person who conquers, the person who overcomes. Now, I've talked about this the last two letters, and so here's what you gotta, always gotta remember, okay? Who is the person who overcomes? Is it the, the unregenerate religious person who pulls themselves up by the bootstraps and I just gotta keep trying, I gotta keep climbing that mountain because if I can earn my way, I'm gonna make it to heaven someday. Is that the gospel? No, no, no. no. 1 John 5, 4 says, everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. So you have to be born again. How are you born again? John 1, 12 and 13, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe or trust in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but who were born of God. And so Jesus says in verse 26, the one who overcomes, okay, that's talking about being born of God, which is, by the way, always has been and always will be by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. And then he goes on and talks about keeping the works until the end, okay? And so let's, let's read it again. I wanna make sure everybody's crystal clear. The one who conquers, in verse 26, and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Okay, so here's your next point if you're taking notes. If, everybody say if. if. We obey Christ until the end of our lives. Don't quit. Then we will rule with him in his millennial kingdom. So I gotta bend over backwards to make sure I'm crystal clear here. Justification has always been and always will be by faith in Christ alone. Then when you turn from your sins and you receive Jesus as your savior, guess what? The spirit of God comes inside of you and now you have a supernatural power to keep obeying Christ till the end of your life. He gives you the power to repent. He gives the, you the power to perform the good works that he foreordained for you before time ever began. And if you'll just do that, if you'll persevere, then what will happen is that someday you will be greatly rewarded. Now, how will you be greatly rewarded? Look again at verse 26. He says to the person who keeps my works to the end, this is fascinating, I will give authority over the nations, authority over the nations. Okay, what does that mean? That means that someday Jesus Christ is coming back, all the way back to the Mount of Olives, and he's gonna set up his kingdom on the earth, and he's gonna reign for a thousand years. And if, please say if, if you have followed the Lord all the days of your life to the very end, he will give you authority over the nations. Some will reign over five cities. Some will reign over 10 cities in our resurrected bodies on this earth in the kingdom age. Heaven is not you as some little ghost 
floating around on a cloud with a halo over your head and strumming boring songs forever. Heaven is you on this earth, ruling over five cities, ruling over ten cities, ruling hand in hand with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. That's what heaven is. That's what the Bible says. But are you ready for that day? Are you ready? Are you really ready? Have you been born again? That's the first step. You got to come to Christ. He'll forgive all your sins, past, present, future, all your hidden sins. Everything that you've done, he'll forgive, he'll forget because he loves you. But you got to come to Christ. Does anybody want to come to Christ this afternoon? One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.